You're listening to Talking Taiwan with your host, Felicia Lin. Cindy Wu is an English and Mandarin Chinese bilingual performer, speaker, and music educator based in Kaohsiung, Taiwan. She loves and enjoys all aspects of life, travel, and culture. I met Cindy years ago when I lived in Kaohsiung, Taiwan. I've invited her on to Talking Taiwan to speak about her music career and how she's dealt with the setbacks and challenges that she's faced along the way. When asked about how she's been able to impact the lives of her students, she responded that it's her students who have impacted and inspired her with their love and support. Now, through her live stream shows, she focuses on spreading messages of positivity. Here's our interview. Welcome to the podcast, Cindy. Hi, Felicia. Thanks for having me. Great. Yeah, so we've met actually when I was living in Taiwan, so I thought we could let the listeners know a little bit about how we met in the first place. Um, do, you, do you remember? Do you remember? <laughs> I do, I do. Well, hopefully my I recollection agree. is the same as yours. <laughs> yeah, but it's 2000. I think we met in 2005 right or six? Oh, i don't remember the year i remember how but I first don't time the year we wow. met the first time i came to um stay for like about a year and a half to two so and it mm-hmm. would be around 2005 to 2007 mm-hmm. yeah and we met through a mutual friend through utah right that's correct yeah, Our man. yeah definitely and what brought you back to taiwan at that time um, the same reason that I came back this time. Um, first of all, my father was um, my father was has uh, what they call lupus, and my father's been in dialysis for past twenty five years. Wow. And um, we we were um, we immigrated to U.S. California when I was very young. So um, when he retired. He was really missing home in Kaohsiung, so that's why they moved back. I almost lost him in the hospital in oh, the dear. emergency for actually literally kind of lost him for two minutes, and they revived oh, him. And my brother was going through law school at that moment, so you know, being the gypsy, being a musician, I made that decision to come back, and this is how I first came back to Taiwan in 2005, Kaohsiung, actually. And when he got better, my life in Taiwan was hard for me, which I'm sure we will talk about later. Yeah. Uh, I went back to Rochester, New York, is where I love, um, for a little while, and then I came back officially for now. I, every time I say officially, it's been 11 years, since 2012, 2012, 2011, I lost him. So, right. yeah. Wow. Mm. So were you, I, I never asked you this, were you born in the U.S. Taiwan or where were you born? I'm actually born in Kaohsiung. Um, oh. When people, yeah, when people ask me, I tell people I'm the, I'm, I'm the, the new breed, not the new breed, like there's a different kind of Americans like me, which is, I call them the Taiwan born or wherever you were born, right. Americans, which means, um, you know, though I'm born in Taiwan. I was raised in, Ta- in Kaohsiung, very, very, you know, short amount of time. We were immigrated back in 1984. So since 1984 till 11 years ago, I was basically living in um, California, Fremont, Castro Valley, oh. and then Rochester, New York. So, mm-hmm. and also during that period of time, there weren't a lot of, um, where we were growing up, there were not a lot of Asians, let alone Taiwanese. So, you know, my community was basically mixed of, of every ethnic 
ethnicity, but the right. Asian ethnicity of Taiwan was, and Chinese were very, very limited. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. how did you end up in Rochester? Did your family move there later? Or? No, I actually um, auditioned being a concert pianist before. I was a classical pianist. Um, because of my um, love for music, classical mm-hmm. piano then, I auditioned for all East Coast school because I wanted to be away from my family. You know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's typical. Try band- to get as far as yeah. as possible. <laughs> uh, my- well, my brother and I are very different. Personality-wise, I'm more like the wild, rebellious one. So uh, out of all the schools that accepted, my piano teacher thought I was much more, I was best suited for Eastman School of Music in univer- um, from the University of Rochester. So that's mm-hmm. why I was there. Fell in love after I graduated, stayed there, worked there until I came back to Gaoshan. Oh, wow. Great. I didn't, I, you know, I don't know if I ever asked you all this background because I didn't realize um, if you were born in Taiwan or the U.S. or whatever. <laughs> so funny. How did you get into music? Has that always been a love of yours since you were a kid? Yeah, I guess um, from what my mom told me was growing up, um, if anybody who's lived in Taiwan before knows where our mall what you call a mall, we don't have a mall. We call it a department store. And department stores are layers in big grand buildings. And then, you know, every floor has its own section, such as like the children's corner, like I call it the children's floor. And she says every time she took me there, I would immediately go to uh, the instrument section. And then I will always take out the piano and I started playing on the piano so she thought hey well out of all the like my family my family is very very musically like that's something that we do we sing oh, we really? dance is we play right? so, yeah my family's either musicians uh, like musicians or artists or lawyers and entrepreneurs <laughs> there's no and there's no other there's no other professions <laughs> in my family no scientists or, or medical doctors <laughs> We have a researcher, you know, we have a researcher, a yeah. professor. We yeah. have a few educators. We have yeah. a few educators, yeah. but pretty much yeah. those are like the lane that we stay in. So um, I started piano even in Taiwan. We have something called a Yamaha class. And yeah. anybody who lives in Taiwan would know they send their kids to the Yamaha class before they send into a private teacher. And it's a group class that your parents have to come with you. And my mother wasn't sure, my, my father too, they weren't sure, like, should we buy our piano? Is she really going to stick to it? So I literally did the first year of my Yamaha class on a toy piano that they bought me at the department stores with colors on it. And, and then when I actually got into uh, the, uh, with my, my teacher, Miss Lee, Lee Jingli, my, my teacher, she is the, the number one teacher in Show at that time. Like She was the best of the best. And when I finally auditioned and got in, I, that's when I got my first piano <laughs> upright. Yeah. Wow. So. You know, that's really funny that you mentioned the Yamaha classes because I actually, my parents put me through that too. I think I was like oh, you did? three or five. <laughs> yeah. That, so I learned how to play the piano, but um, that wasn't by choice. It was, you know, it's, it's more like the um, Asian the immigrant, Asian Taiwanese yeah. immigrant immigrant thing to have your kids play classical piano or some classical instrument like all my cousins and I at one point have have taken piano lessons my my brother played the violin right I played the violin but he played the violin that's what they played the violin as well 
Can you talk a bit more about when you attended Eastman and how the time you spent in Rochester, New York had an impact on you? When, when I was younger, I feel like for the classical scene that I was in, mm-hmm. everyone has to win. You have to keep going or else you're going to be behind. And, um, you know, going in with scholarships at Eastman, when I developed my tenonitis for after, I think it was after two years, I had to take a year off of school, going into intense physical therapy. They literally had to shock my nerves to get both arms going, to moving without being pain. And you're talking to someone who used to practice six to eight hours for competitions to can't even lifting her hands. How, how that was, that was such a, it was, it was hard on me, more emotional. It was more emotional and like a mental um, hurt because I had to ask myself, what could I do if I couldn't play anymore? And to, to be honest with you, it was during that time I got into service industry because I needed to, I needed to find options and a whole bunch of my friends um, decided to work at a country club <laughs> and it's a well-known country club in Rochester called Genesee Valley club. So I started, I was like, well, you know what? I'm on physical therapy. It, it hurts to play, but I just, I, I just have to be gentle with my hands. I still need to move. So I was mm-hmm. like, okay. I explained that to my manager when I, when I was interviewing and he was like, fine, you could be our server. What is a server oh, mainly just, to, yeah, I just have to talk social Take, you know, oh, orders, right. like the then, hostess. Yes, because they yeah. have someone called a barback. So I would always have, because it's a high end. So I would have a barback um, um, helping me carry. So I okay. started a jump and I, and I love, I love the hustling and bustling of like service. Well, you're a people That's how person. I, so. Oh, thanks. Yeah. But guess what? I wasn't before. I was very oh. shy. Oh. I'm a very so when you, so when you were at Eastman, were you you were studying like classical piano to mm-hmm. be with the aim of performing? I was aiming to be a classical pianist. Yes, performing classical piano. Mm-hmm. But I've always had the love for singing. So also because when I couldn't play, like I said, music was something important to me. I right. started going out. Right. singing karaoke at, at, at bars. <laughs> and then while I was singing karaoke at a bar, I got discovered by a, a, a company that performs all around um, U.S. They were, we were, the company I was working with was Nick Entertainment. And anybody from Rochester would know the Nick Entertainment. We have different, different bands. And I was in the A band. I ended up playing, singing, and dance. I played keyboard, singing, and dance. I learned a lot my from them for the one year, year and a half that I was with them. They were, they were performing at Super Bowl. Like, like wow. this is the company I was with. We perform all over Canada, all over U.S. Nice. They travel everywhere. And um, I had the opportunity to sing um, and perform with them for a, for a year and a half. But I was discovered at a karaoke bar. And like every, like, this is why I'm one of those people. Yeah, who would have thought, right? Be, I, yeah, exactly. Who would have thought? And um, I've had opportunities to um, to be able to get signed back then. Oh, God, this is again. It's going to give away my age. You know, to be <laughs> in my twi- in my twenties, I was about to, and I was having the opportunities to you know to be able to get signed with with Madonna's label Maverick. Wow! Because one of the Italian agent was from Rochester, mm-hmm. and then um, also a friend of mine. 
who was also working and had the potential to go to LA for Sony Music Record. And he thought that I could come along. And all those, you know, during those periods of time was great. But then my father got sick. And oh, uh, I left a lot of, I had a lot of, you know, there were personal reasons. I've had to make choices. And when Absolutely. I left Rochester to come to Taiwan, it was, I gave up a lot. And when I was living in your city for a year and a half, studying with a, a professor at Julia for classical piano, I was getting like HBO Coca-Cola commercials on the side, but it always ended up with something that I had to do with piano performance events. So like my, my life was a constant, you know, like, like I, I keep saying luck is very important. Everybody sometimes timing, when timing. you're time, yes, timing. And when you're at, when you're at your crossroads, the decisions that you make could change like the outcome of your life. And I, I, yeah. I don't have any regrets, but I do think back, had I make certain choices during those times, what would my life have been? You know, sure. but I don't regret it because where I am now, I've actually learned a lot from those experiences. Mm -hmm. A lot of, a lot of bad more than good. I just don't share them, but right. I, I come out a, a stronger person for sure. What did you go through and, you know, during that time and how did you recover? Um, well, you, you do physical therapy. I did physical therapy for a year. After that, I had to slowly and maturely build back my strength in technique and also in wow. um, even like easy mobility, like, like literally here, here's my little coffee cup just to mm -hmm. even hold it up like this. Yeah. Mm -hmm past a minute was too much wow so i was i was doing a lot of stretching you to rebuild your muscles and yes. everything yes wow. and to um i was so angry with what happened because think about it i paid yep you know universities in u.s is not cheap and this yes. is a private and the top prestigious mm -hmm. the back then was number one music school mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i i got a bachelor degree mm -hmm. and with all the amount of money you spent to go to school and also with this living expense, not being cheap in New right. York, you know, right. like upstate or not, mm -hmm. you're angry that you would want to, you know, wrong technique. You ended up handicapped for a while. I went that to, I, I, I literally stopped playing classical piano for 10 years. I refused. I was that angry oh, wow. that I refused to play classical piano until I was invited to perform at um, one of the, um, before Wei Wuying, if you know Kaohsiung City, Wei Wuying is now one of the top performing art centers around the world. One of the top performing mm -hmm. art centers. And before that, it was a cultural in Kaohsiung called the Cultural Center. I was invited to perform there after 10 years. That was the first time I've ever performed again. And I have to say this, and I, um, for me, because it was very, very profound in a, uh, in a sense of, it was my students in Taiwan that gave me hope again. So I started playing classical piano for them because they, they know I won't play. And they're like, Miss Cindy, I just want to hear you play. It was them mm. who in inspired me to perform. And this is why I never give up on any of my students because I know when I was going through my things. They didn't give up on you. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh no, they just you know how kids are. They give you those big eyes every time they yeah. come in. They're like, "No, Cindy, will you just play a little bit?" And they oh. kept trying. They kept oh. trying until one day they got me playing. So I I do perform now. I do perform some classical piano, and I do a lot of like trios and ensemble. Like I'm putting up videos with my friends who who are classical, you know, musicians. Yeah. I'm playing and I'm enjoying it. And during lock during the pseudo lockdown here in Taiwan. Um, I, I I practiced again, so I, I'm I'm in I'm I'm in a good place right now. Every in in my life, everything. When you stopped playing classical music, you were, uh, if you taught, then you were teaching other types of music, not classical. I was teaching more in singing. I was yeah. um I found yeah. I found singing when I when I was working in the service industry right. because, um you know going out with your friends it was karaoke. I was very shy unless I know I someone very well. Believe. <laughs> I know. That's not my I'm very shy. Yeah. And, and and it was service industry who helped me become more confident because everybody who knows when you're working in service industry in US, yes. you make tip money. Yes. And how you how you portray yourself as a server, bartender or or whatever and position that you're people. in. Yes, that's where you um you have regulars that comes back to see you. My skill set of, of being shy from outgoing was because of service industry. And I, I, I'm grateful. That 15 years of my life was the best, best time that I had. Like, I would never say anything bad about Rochester because that was something that, that changed who I am, the core of me, for, for yeah. the positive. Yeah. Can you tell my audience like a little bit about what it is that you're doing now with your music sure. in, in, in Kaohsiung? Well, I'm actually, um, where, where, where I have evolved, I'm more of a, um, how should I put it? I, I, I use music, um, not just piano and I do a lot of singing. So I use music as a therapy to educate kids kind of like, that's my instrument. That's my tool to, to bring, um, confidence and self-awareness and mostly like love for their family together because and I, this sounds crazy to a lot of people who aren't Asian families um music is important but music isn't something we share if there's anyone who knows traditional I can't speak for every Asian family but for Taiwanese families you know we we, we play to achieve a lot of times Taiwanese parents put you in if this is the new trend right now, right now at the moment in Taiwan is hip-hop hip-hop dancing and drums and guitar. They're finally evolving, from, they're wow. changing from classical instruments to popular instruments. Um, but a lot of times when parents send their child to, uh, to learn an instrument or learn a skill, they don't really want to hear their child. Like they, they don't encourage their kids to perform it at home. So um, I started my business start in Taiwan because I couldn't speak a word of Chinese. So in Taiwan, because I don't speak since I don't speak Chinese, um, right now at the moment, if anybody who lives here knows English, Bushiban, anybody who works in a Bushiban system yes, knows. Cram it's, a, it's a cram school where we, we teach kids English. And a lot of times, you know, the cram schools are only twice a week. And for parents, because I don't speak Chinese and I speak limited Taiwanese, definitely better than than. than my Chinese, mm -hmm. I, I, don't, I was zero Chinese, Mandarin Chinese for me. Mm -hmm. So I started my music studio as a bilingual music studio mm -hmm. where I, I teach 
piano, violin, singing. Now it's vocal and drama mm-hmm. um, with English primary and Mandarin Chinese as a secondary language, which I advertised for, but I was actually speaking Taiwanese. So my Mandarin Chinese was learned from my students. My students were aging from three and a half years old to adults. Hmm. And a lot of, uh, a lot of foreigners who were adults, um, a lot of my students, adult students who were learning with me are now in their own bands performing all over Taiwan because they said they were having a hard time finding someone that actually spoke English like fluent in a sense of like what they would consider native. Mm -hmm. And for the parents with me, um, they love it because their child was in a English and a a Western meaning American environment of education, um, environment, learning music and the language. Plus they gain another language learning Taiwanese because a lot of people know our older generation do not speak Chinese. And my parents actually taught us Taiwanese back at home in California because they didn't want us not to be able to communicate with our elders. So I spoke Taiwanese at home. My brother and I both did. And so the parents were ecstatic, especially the grandparents, because their grandchildren now speak in Taiwanese because they thought Miss Cindy was cool. That's a great that fringe spoke. benefit. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it really was because um, if people didn't know um, in the political situations in Taiwan back in the days, um, speaking Taiwanese wasn't cool. And so, I, I mean, I was bullied for not speaking Mandarin Chinese. Well, people but, were punished. Um, were you ever punished in school for that? No. Uh, I, I was too, to be honest with you, I left Taiwan in 1984, so I was too young to understand. Right. And, you know, learning, like, I stopped at Bopo Mall. People don't know what Bopo Mall means. Yeah. It, it, it's like phonetics for Taiwan, learning Mandarin Chinese. Yeah. Um, I stopped at Bopo Mall, pretty, like, my, my, my memory was just at Bopo Mall. Um, oh, okay. But down, but down south, Thai, speaking Taiwanese was, was okay, but it wasn't, it, like, if you weren't considered what it I was, would call upper class or like. Yeah, it was still looked down upon. Yeah. Very looked down upon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Um, I apologize. I wanted to rewind a little bit to say, yeah. to ask you a little bit, like, um, like, did you always see yourself pursuing a career in music? And could we talk a little bit about what you've done in your career before you got to the point where you are now? Mm. Um, yes. I, you know, be, for me now, one of my biggest job I wouldn't call it a job, but one of my biggest profession and passion is being a motivational speaker and speaker um, in Taiwan at the moment. Obviously, COVID and me living here for so long is that I always encourage everyone to do what they love. And I would... I was in service industry for 15 years while I was in Rochester, New York. People know I was, I mean, I went from like coffee shop barista to managing sports bars. <laughs> and wow. I worked at high end, like five star, like if you know what we call triple diamonds, people who was in the service industry would know what the diamond means. I've actually worked for high end restaurants being, you know, trainee to be a sommelier, pairing yeah. food and wines together. Mm-hmm. With all the professions that I've done, I've nailed it down to what I love the most too, which is education and music. So um, I've always loved 
I, I will live without music in my life and especially music, either mm-hmm. piano or mainly now singing. Hence my voice. My voice doesn't usually sound like this. Um, it, I, I've been, I've been overworked. I, I teach junior high students and they, they've been, they've been really rebellious lately. I don't oh, know. Dear. It's the weather. Yeah. Something, something is in the air. <laughs> and I, I actually pull my voice wrongly one day for and, and I teach you have to strain yourself yeah. I strained it and I've been on medication for a month now and I'm trying to get it back and for that as a vocalist it's very depressing I yeah. was I was actually practicing for my age I mm-hmm. was I was maintaining my whistle note mm-hmm. and whistle notes like miraculously those like I'm not gonna yeah. do it today <laughs> to like like losing it that was very 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 hard but I'm hitting all the low notes at the at the moment, <laughs> like Beyonce's low right. notes. So it's and this is when I say I try to I try to find happiness and positivity even during my own like like challenging yeah. time. Yeah, of course, because no, unfortunately so, that's life. It doesn't always go as planned. And no, you have to adjust when it doesn't. Yes, yeah. not at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so you said you said you also do motivational speaking. Can you talk a little bit about that? I actually got into motivational speaking because I was um, I was doing voiceover jobs for a prestigious company here called Cinderella Music Production. They're well known in Taiwan for all their broadcasting um, awards. In Taiwan, it's an award called Jing Chu Jiang Golden Melody Award. It's kind of yes. like the Grammy of of, right. of, of US. Right. And I'm working um, intensely with them in voiceover. And believe it or not, first, when they met me, they thought that they're going to need me for my singing um, for Chinese. And mm-hmm. then when they put me on the speaker, they're they on the microphone in, a, yeah. in the booth. They're like, yeah. Cindy, you, you got an accent. I can't, I can't have you, <laughs> have you, you know? And it was, it was cute because in, in that moment was their realization that like, okay, we need Cindy for her. English. So I've been recording <laughs> English textbooks, um, English, like, you know, audio exams for the kids for the national examinations oh, okay. for the school. Yeah. So I record that with them. And when live stream was starting to get popular, and it, it started in China, and Taiwan actually picked up that trend. There was a big company called Mimi Live. Yeah. And so they hired, um, I was in contract with them to do a, a, a show. So I turned that into a bilingual live stream show, Great. which I talk about positivities and, and I sing in my, I sing like cover songs in, in a show. And so through that, I got booked on a lot of motiv- motivational speaking um, around Taiwan, but mainly in Kaohsiung. Can you talk a little bit about your live show and how long you've been doing it? The live show actually started around four or five years ago. And it was through a company, a publishing, I'm sorry, a production company here called the Cinderella Music Production. Um, they cooperated with uh, Mimi app, which is a very popular live stream app here in Asia. And they needed a new person now. So we signed a contract with them. And I, that's how I got into the, um, the live stream business. And due to my primary language being English, we decided to have my guests and I, mainly me as the host, using Mandarin Chinese and English for uh, 
international and local followers. And then um, Mimi recently, I think about two years ago, Mimi got bought out by Seventeen Media, which is now one of the biggest uh, media app for live streaming around the world. They're they're pretty big amongst all the top dogs. Um, and um, when I saw the contract with the Seventeen, it wasn't what I was looking for. So I've been doing it independently on my own personal. Cindy Wu Music Studio Facebook page, and then I share the video onto my YouTube channel, Cindy Wu Music Studio. And um, I had to stop actually a year ago, about a year and a half ago, because due to I had stalkers coming into my music studio, stalking outside my studio, and I kind of got scared. So I stopped for about a year until I moved home. And now I feel about um, I'm feeling safer. That's why I, I'm starting coming back out doing more live streams. Oh, that's terrible. Mm. A lot of questions come up. If you wouldn't mind talking a little bit about that and how you dealt with that, but I'm also curious to know um, why did you start doing the live show? Is it something that you came up with or you were approached about to do mm. this to collaborate on, or how did that come about in the first place? Mm. Well, the the owner of Cinderella, Miss Fairy. She um, she came up with the idea because um, Mimi Mimi app was looking for special. Uh, they want to look for a special someone, and she, mainly on that app, you are either singing or you're either just ch- chatting. If anybody who knows live apps, it's like you're basically just chatting with someone. Uh-huh. You're chatting. You're chatting with people, and then people respond. But that wasn't the kind of show that I wanted to do, and they knew I I could sing. So I offered them something that during my, my, my show, I actually would teach English and Chinese, like bilingually. I have special guests that would come on and sing with me. But mainly me as an educator, I pretty much on my show talks about positivity and what we can turn our, our fear or our, our hurt into something powerful. And now for a short break. We're proud to say that Talking Taiwan is now a 2021 Golden Crane Award-winning podcast. Talking Taiwan is a Golden Crane Award-winning podcast and the longest-running Taiwan-related podcast. We are dedicated to bringing you stories connected to Taiwan and Taiwan's global community. Help us to grow and continue producing engaging content by making a contribution on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Talking Taiwan. Would you mind talking a little bit about what happened with your stalkers? Like, I'm like, so surprised about that. And mm. like, how did this happen? I mean, how, how did how did they find you like and they just showed up and like did they hopefully they i'm wondering like did they do anything threatening or it's i mean it's i think it's threatening enough to have some stranger there that's following you but i, I was just wondering if you might want to comment about that and what happened and how you handled it i think everybody's going to think i'm crazy when i say this um asians asian stalkers are very very mild they like to hide in the dark not saying that is safe, but the stalkers were very quiet. They just paced around. Um, I have this music studio where I used to teach, which the outside window is it's very big. And my, mm. my grand piano is sitting right out, you know, right inside of that mm-hmm. big window. Um, 
you see people pacing in and out. Sometimes I don't notice because I'm very focused on teaching. How I knew it got bad, it was because my students were saying, Miss Cindy, there's somebody kind of creepy, keeps pacing in and out. And it took a, a, a student of mine, and he, he was seven years old, to say something for me to catch it in my, um, the corner of my eye. Then that evening, I had a, um, that particular week, I had a friend visiting from UK. So I, I let them use my upstairs, because I usually live upstairs in my studio. I let them use upstairs as a guest um, place to stay, and I would go home to my mom's. So while I was leaving my studio that evening, I saw the same person across the street at the scooter parking area, but under the dim light, they were still there. And that's when I was, that's when I realized, okay, this is not like ha ha anymore. Yeah. And my, my, and anybody who knows my door, actually, I don't live there anymore. So I can't talk about it. It's just, you know, in Taiwan, believe it or not, people think I'm crazy. Taiwan is actually safe with anybody who's ever lived here. It's just a gate down with a key turn. That's it. And the, there's a camera, of course, the, the building camera is going to be there. But what's, what my mom and the people that loves concern was that what happened if something did happen? Though we may, they may be able to see evidence through the video, but that isn't going to be enough. It's be too late. Mm -hmm. So that's when I made that final decision. I said, what I passionately want to do to share love into the social media world if that is becoming a danger to myself and mostly my students, and I don't want their parents to worry, I had to stop. So within a month, I moved out of that place. I actually, you know, got a little creeped out. And then I stopped doing a live show for about a year. Oh. And I just recently started doing it again. Yeah. Oh, wow. I'm sorry to hear that happen. I mean, yeah, you have the safety of your students to be concerned about. And I'm sure it's also very distracting, too, for them. Um, sorry to hear that you had to deal with that. Talking about your live show, I know that, you know, there's a lot of good and a lot of bad that comes with it, as we've talked about, right? So could you talk about some of the opportunities that's brought you? Opportunity-wise, for me, a lot of, um, a lot of singing gigs, a lot of events. And um, that have slowly, maturely built me up with now a, a, um, able to collaborate with Gaucho City government. I'm starting to do a lot of their, um, they plan festivals, a bit more of the smaller events. And they oh, will yeah. Come and what find about international singer? I just heard that they got uh, selected for Pride. Like, was it uh, 2025 or something? 2025. Yeah, but that's exciting, right? Yeah. The pro one of the Pride Parade, it's like the biggest in Kaohsiung. And actually, a friend of mine, Danny Chu, he's also, mm -hmm. I don't know if you know Danny Chu when you were here, but Danny Chu is one of those main photographers that mm -hmm. actually goes and 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 captured the whole event he's known for for event photography so i want to give him a shout out because usually the pride parade he's in there he's taking these beautiful yeah. pictures and capturing the moment but yes 2025 is going to be in taiwan i think it's going to be a blast it's yeah be huge. amazing and he shot some, some some of your photos too right Yes, he did. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm about to go in for some new photos. But, okay. uh, <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Um, so with, you know, gigs, with performances, shows, others was my live show got me into um, the Taiwan Zhen Yi Senior High School, which is where I am now okay. as a um, full-time music, like a bilingual and international music teacher there for them. 
Wonderful. So it's got, got me a lot of, and, yeah. and also talks. I got like lectures going oh, out great. for lectures and, and, and talks. Yeah. But you know, obviously that all stopped because of COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I feel like anybody would, a would, would a platform you'd probably, the mindset is you probably don't think people are watching because you are so focused on the likes. And this is something that I learned from one of my professors at Eastman. Um, I, and I, I have so many great professors, but the last professor I had, Mr. Tom, um, Professor Dr. Thomas Schumacher, was, was someone very important in my life. He taught me many things through music, and it was more life lessons. And he says, do not underestimate that one person that you see, obviously, back in the days, there was no social media. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he, he always reminded me that do not underestimate that one person that's watching you because that person may not look the part sometimes could be the executive producer or executive um, agent manager somewhere from a, a big company that could sign you for something. And he always taught me to look at life in a sense of when you're for me, obviously as a performer, he says, Cindy, always remember that play it like this is your last performance. We never know what's going to happen in our lives. We don't. None of us do. And let's just look at COVID. We never thought this could happen, you know, right. now in, 20, in the 21st century. So he always reminded me to, to always do your best. Go in like this is your last call. So for my live stream, I never check. I don't check viewers. I don't check likes, especially in human nature and psychology. I took a child development psychology course. Mm -hmm in college. And I, I realized human nature is to check, especially checking if the people who are watching are the people you know. If you're going to do social media business, the less people you know that likes your views or likes your posts, you're doing it right because you're trying to reach out to people who don't know you. So for my live streams, I've, I've, you know, I finally found, actually not found, it's just my personality. I'm more edgier these days. Uh, but mainly, I like to share positivities. A lot of YouTubers or influencers that have made a huge are um, people who are much more provocative. They're more, more extreme. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, that's not my personality. And they got a lot of viewers. They got a lot of followers. And God bless them for what they do. You know, people always need some entertainment. They do. They they need entertainment. I follow. Right. I follow a lot of like sure. people will people will laugh with what I do. I follow like the Kardashians. I I love a little drama sure. in my life. I love sure. the I love the Bling Empire when it came out. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, trash yeah. talk or not to uh -huh. me, that's real life in certain ways. Drama, sure. you know. I don't want sure. drama in my life. I I watch it, but for me, I hope people like me. People like you. Um, influencers that are much more could be considered more serious much more uh I, i'm not subdued i'm just i'm 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 fun i'm more people call me sunny girl that's my nickname it came mm -hmm. up from you know my viewers and my students so i'm mm -hmm. i'm called miss sunny sunny girl miss cindy i try to bring sunshine like really warm sunshine to people to people they go oh cindy you're your positivity is making me sick. I've heard that. <laughs> I've heard that on comments and I love it because I know 
it sucks, but it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that my life is perfect. It's just that I I choose to not to share the crafts in my life yeah. because I think we mm. all in life it's it's hard enough. Everybody's got 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 hard enough life going yeah. on, you know. Yeah. It, so I'd rather just show you um, and 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 share with you how I tackle when I'm going through difficulties. That that's oh, mainly my so, life show, and so, I sing I sing yeah. on my live shows when I have the voice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so now I know the story, like because people can find you on LinkedIn. Uh, you're under Cindy Wu Sunny Girl Show or something like that, right? Because I never knew the story behind the Sunny Girl. So there you go. Oh. Yeah. So uh, that's the Sunny Girl. And I, I was very lucky. The Sunny Girl's Dream World, SGDW, mm-hmm. is actually a book that I published for, oh. for kids. Bilingual book that I published in Taiwan with a, 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 a big company here called Case Bookstore. Their mm-hmm. relative company called right. Reading and Rhythm. Right. And the book has like dancing, singing, karaoke, and it's got videos to teach kids how to dance. Because if anybody knows, Asian kids are very reserved, mainly, like, especially the studious one. They're very, very reserved. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Expressing themselves openly like that, it's considered like you're kind of cra- like, you know, too wild, too crazy, not, not looked at as professional. Mm-hmm. So I kind of want to break that mold and to be able to let them um, free themselves. And mainly also for them to learn positivities because a lot of the message in it, like I talked about homeschooling, I talk about doing your best because I don't want them to feel like you have to be number one. If you're not number one, you suck. That's what a lot of their parents, you know, I mean, I sound direct, yeah. but it's true. Their parents tell them if they're tiger not mom. getting <laughs> the tiger, yeah, mom. <laughs> tiger, tiger mom and dads, guess what? If they're not getting nine, like even 90 in some of the, the families yeah. are considered you're not good enough. Yeah. Um, the other one I tackle was about recycling. That's huge with global warming right now and like an environment, planet Earth is getting sick. We need to worry about that. So those are the main um, issues and ingredients that I do and, and, and convey it through songs, dance, and for them middle English and they can be happy or kids who don't, who, and, or I have foreign kids who doesn't know Chinese that um, they can buy it through online and then they, they listen to it and they're learning singing Chinese songs <laughs> and the parents know it's PG friendly. <laughs> well, yeah. I didn't know this. I didn't even know this about you, that you're a children's book author also. So you're going to have to um, send me a link and okay. we're to put that in our show notes also. Oh, thank you. People, I yeah, can, in um, case people are interested and they want to, you, you um, said it's available online, uh, right? Yes, and also I'm very mm-hmm. lucky. Uh, I've signed with a company, an uh, independent record company here in Taiwan, mm-hmm. that my my songs, um, twelve Chinese and the twelve English songs from the Sunny Goes Dreamwell, can't be streamed on uh, can be streamed through twenty five platforms. I'm talking. I'm even in Jay Z's like title. In title, you can hear my music. Spotify. Um, iHeartRadio, Pandora, it's, it's on all those 25 live streams. I'm working on my own. I'm working on my own original for like more adult contemporary, but I love teaching. So that's kind of like pulling me back a little bit, yeah. making that album ready. But at the moment, those, those children's album, it, the, the, the children's album, both Chinese and Mandarin Chinese and English is on those 25 platforms around the world. 
Now, I know that you also recently made an announcement on uh, your social media that about some mm. changes that you'll, you'll be making to your live show. Can you talk mm. a little bit about what that announcement was and why you're making these changes? Well, the announcement was, well, actually last night was International Students Day. Uh, was my first ever live show that was basically just all English. Uh, I've been in Taiwan for about 11 years, just about, yeah, about 11 years. And I've learned Mandarin Chinese here in Taiwan. And um, people assume that I speak Chinese fluently, which I don't. And so for 11 years of my life, because of the the contract that I signed for with with Mimi, um, I do bilingual. And what, what, Bilingual entails for for your, your uh, listeners are I have to translate English and Chinese in my head constantly. So when I say I do a bilingual show, I'm going English. I flip into Mandarin Chinese and flip back. I don't even know. Sometimes I go back and watch some of my shows. I don't even know how I, how I used to be able to do it. <laughs> and uh, it, it's just I feel like I'm talking to two people in my head. So now I just gotten tiring and. And, um, and also a lot of the feedbacks, actually, the comments that I would receive and the messages that I would receive are 90% in English. So then that kind of made me decided to just give up on the Mandarin Chinese. I think after 11 years, I've done a pretty good job learning the language and um, got bullied a little bit for, for being a Taiwanese American. And it kind of just put me, it just puts a bad taste in my mouth for me to go, I just want to be happy for a year, maybe longer, just to do shows in English. That's oh, mainly I mean, that's terrible. We yeah. we all know that there's haters, trolls, and um, mm. cyberbullying. I'm sorry to hear that happened to you. I mean, would you mind talking a little bit about that? Like, what did people say? Like, I mean, I actually, I've known you for a long time, and I actually didn't realize that you learned your Chinese in Taiwan. I mean, I'm really impressed. I grew up like speaking Taiwanese at home and I didn't learn Chinese until I came to Taiwan and my Chinese is nowhere near yours. Like I could, maybe I can have a conversation, but I could not have a show. I could not do a podcast half in Chinese. <laughs> but you know what? For you to say that, thank you. But I feel like, you know, you know, that the old saying, either you swim or you sink, right? You, and I feel like because whatever I was, I love challenges. Yeah. So when a project or a, a project or a goal comes to me, if I feel like I'm not doing my best, yeah, I'm going to learn it. And somebody actually, this has happened to me the first time I was in Taiwan, a parent was shocked that I could not speak Chinese uh, for a piano class. Sure. And she actually, she actually belittle me in front of my face basically saying you don't have you, you obviously you're probably not educated you're not classy because back in the days this is 2004 back in the days everybody who's ever in taiwan knows speaking taiwanese is considered low class or considered like not the upper class sophisticated mm -hmm. so i was really upset i was like oh that's judgmental yeah. so then you know but i wasn't long enough to learn chinese back then but 2011, before I came back, I told myself, okay, you're going to do this. If you're going to come back, you're going to master this. You're going to do it well. And I have to thank my students. It's my students who taught me. They, they're the <laughs> one that brings me comic books. And my, my piano books has like, uh, it's bilingual. So I'll read it. I'll translate it in English to them. And then they'll read the Chinese words to me. 
So that's, that's, that's as good as I can get. But if there's like doc- documents or magazines, newspapers, no, that's still hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Wow. Um, so yeah, so now, so you're, uh, now you're going to be doing uh, your shows 100% in uh, English. That's great. So how do you handle this when you have people giving you negative feedback or these trolls or whatever? I think it's an important thing to consider for people who are public on social media. Yeah. You'll be surprised. I mean, first of all, my, my initial reaction was I was very shocked due to the fact that my shows are mainly educational based. Mm-hmm. And yet I was getting a lot of, I actually, out of all my trolls and all my solicitors are mainly very sexual. Oh. <laughs> and you would think educational show, wow. you, you know, I'm talking, I'm, I'm not even talking any provocative, very you know, provocative topics. I'm mm-hmm. talking about kids and, and such, but then you get the PMs coming in, the things that they say, you're just like, and today I got dressed up. I don't know if your viewers ever get to see this, but today I can dress up Felicia. Yeah. But usually on certain of my shows, Felicia, you'll laugh. Sometimes I wear my glasses. Sometimes my hair is pulled back. I'm in t-shirt. I look like, mm-hmm. I just look casual. Yeah. You know? Okay. And I'm still getting harassed. And um, the one of the extreme, one of the most extreme um, hate message I've gotten was because of an episode that I did on Malala. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm an artistic creative director with the company of the book that I published mm-hmm. uh, and reading and rhythm. So we, we do a weekly or month back then was like a weekly or monthly show, which we work with scholastics and I will find books on these um, topics and then talk about it. And one of the episodes was about Milana. And I want to talk about how, what we may take for granted for other children out there, especially mm-hmm. women. Mm-hmm. How studying, how education was so important, and Milana almost died. Can you tell, uh, like, briefly, who she is for um, listeners who might not know? Okay, well, Milana is a activist, and she is a woman from um, from Taliban, mm-hmm. right? And she actually um, she's one of those activists where she wants everyone from children, especially women to have the right to free speech and education. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she was, she was very young. I think she was 10 or 13 right. when she, um, she grew up actually her father, what, what a man, her father believes she deserves that education. So her father taught her um, at home, but then she wanted to go to school and you know, with Taliban right now over that region, it's always constant war. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm, I'm always praying for people who have to live under those conditions. Yeah. And um, for her, she was voicing her opinion at 10 about she deserves to go to school because I think Taliban was getting invaded or uh, Pakistan, sorry, Pakistan, Taliban, mm-hmm. their relationship. Mm-hmm. And so she actually got, um, got hit by a gun through the head but she didn't die and um, they rescue her and she was um, revived. And so from there on, she's been globally everywhere, writing books, Mm -hmm. doing Mm -hmm. speech Mm -hmm. and basically talking about how knowledge and how learning is important, especially for women. So we, we had a book by school from published by the scholastic and it was probably a book on Milana for the age of seven to 10 year old students to read Mm -hmm. And I actually talked about that. Mm-hmm. Then I started receiving private messages saying, 
you know what you're what you're talking about is is illegal. It's not good. It's evil. You will die from that. And 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 this was many. I for that episode, I did not get one single good message. Wow, really? <laughs> except for it's. Yeah, except for that, you know, if you look oh, up the boy. Facebook page, mm-hmm. the Facebook live stream, anyone outside of that region, mm-hmm. you know, you get a lot of likes, you get a lot of people mm-hmm. commenting, mm-hmm. but then anything that's private, there was not one single good thing to say oh, that's for terrible. that. So um, how I dealt with it, with like trolls and haters, I, I, to be honest with you, I still don't know how I deal with it. I think sometimes that isn't something that, you could deal with it until something actually happens. I know it sounds horrible to say, but I find any reporters or anybody who's in the media or even celebrities in any kind of media platforms, you kind of you kind of just make sure your heart is a little tough and you don't think about these negatives, you just go for it. Because what the message that you want to to send out, hopefully not everybody, but the message that most of the people who wants to send out are to bring knowledge, information, truth, and sometimes just some happiness to people. Um, and for me, if I, my way of dealing is inner peace. If I feel like I'm doing the right thing, I'm just going to do it. Then I don't feel guilty. I don't feel any regrets. But if it's too much for me, I usually just take time off. So like right now with, with you know, trolls, it, I think for me, mainly more, what's more hurtful, that to me is okay. For me, it's more hurtful is when somebody body shames me. I get body shamed a lot here by women in Taiwan, you know, and then, and you'd be surprised. It's not even uh, viewers that I don't know. It's people who watch my shows. There are people I know telling me, oh, you're getting fat. Oh, you look too round. Oh, you're this. And and when they, (laughs) when they say certain things to you, you're just like, do you not have any filters or the worst part is this is just, this is my personality. You know, Felicia, yeah, I would, yeah. I would just mm-hmm. in, in the back of my mind, I, I would just say to myself says, maybe you should look in the mirror yourself first before you make that comment to somebody else. Girl, I, you know, that's, that's the, that's the New York myth coming up, but I'm not going to say it to their face yeah. because you know what? They probably can't handle it. That's why they're, yeah. they're, they have to put someone down to make himself feel better. And if you find, if you understand the psychology behind that, it's actually comical. That's how I treat everything right now, comical. You teach one-on-one? I'm in a Taiwanese private school right now called Jin Yi Senior High. And they are, in Taiwan, we have public schools and private schools. And students in private school, the, the director actually saw my live show and said, we need somebody that's unique, that it, uh, that's, a, that's a foreigner, but actually understands a bit of Taiwan's traditions and environment. And so they gave me a chance and I teach, I use Sunny Girl, the book as my um, textbook. And I go in and teach them, um, my my junior high students, because they're English level. If people don't know in Taiwan, Taipei and down South Kaohsiung, the English level is very extremely different. Um, and these kids just need encouragement. And everyone loves, who doesn't love music? Who doesn't love dancing? So- yeah. They, they are being encouraged to be free. So one hour a week in their classes, out of all their classes, they come and learn English with me through dance and singing. Oh, how fun is that? And in, my, and in my high school, my high school students, which um, I teach 11, 10th grade, 
10th graders. And because they're a lot older, I'm not going to make them dance. So what they do is they learn how to play My Sunny Girl's original songs on ukulele. So I teach them ukulele and I teach them English, like, you know, learning, speaking, and then they sing English songs, the lyrics, yes, and the message behind it as well. Oh, how fun. Because mainly I'm in in Taiwan. A lot of them want to study abroad. So all of them, um, they they come and their parents talk to me how to send their child abroad. Because of that uh, um, experiences with many different students, I'm now working with a company, a 51-year-old company here in, in Kaohsiung called, um, they're, they're called the Oxford Institute. But in Jing-ing, they're, they're Chinese name. I don't know how to pronounce the Chinese name. But they started an, yeah. an, a, a association called the Global Leadership and Learning Associations, which now I'm working with them intensely. I'm, I'm one of the, the directors bo- on the board. And I send students now to be able to get their dual high school diploma, meaning America, Canada, Australia, anywhere they want, um, depending on the program, we can get a dual high school diploma here mm-hmm. in Kaohsiung mm-hmm. and also um, in U.S., then send them to directly, send them directly to any state universities in U.S. Can you talk a little bit about how your teachers influenced you? All my teachers in, in music, I have to say, not in schools, but in, in, in music, I've had the best luck of all my teachers being very positive. So I was able to continue playing even during like my, my, my teenage years when I was rebellious or during the times that I just wanted to give up. And so I always remember that passion that they gave to me and I, I, I also share with my student is that I don't give up when somebody tells me they can't I always tell my student there's, I don't, there's no cannot in my studio you do your best Miss Cindy will find a way like I, that, that's my overachieving part I guess right. I will find a way to make it work and I think I think the most important part is love I think when you show someone that you care you truly love them and truly care about them and above all, and I think a lot of adults forget to do is we treat children like they're dumb or we treat children like you don't know anything. Right. When you show them respect and you let them know and you treat them equal, you know, sometimes they're bad. You got to reprimand them. I understand. But as a human being, if you, tr- if you treat them with respect and you talk to them like an adult, 90% they're going to respond to you like an adult they're going to know that you're you're mm-hmm. you 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 are serious and when you show them that you're serious I, I i find that energy they picked up very quickly they and they respond better that way i wonder if you could share some stories about how you've impacted their lives like um you know i'm sure you've seen a lot of them grow or change um you know because they start with you when they're younger yes continue with you um i actually want to flip it for you because it's actually then impacting my life um a lot of people who knew me very well knows that i'm and and i don't usually share a lot of my personal um lives but i find that certain times or certain topics you kind of have to share it and i'm not going to go into detail but Mm -hmm. i was in a very tumultuous relationship Mm -hmm. and uh it took it took on enough four and a half years to, to finally say goodbye to that relationship. But that relationship literally destroyed me physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. 
And it's probably one of those relationships that will, will leave a scar for the rest mm. of my life. And um, when, when we talk about, you know, impacts in lives, I got to say, uh, bless those, bless those little angels. They brought me back to life the outside, you know, outside of my mother. It was dead. They knew I was so broken Aww. and, um, and, and, and their parents too, they knew they, you know, I don't, I'm not one to talk about my private lives sure. openly to anyone, sure. but they knew I was going through, through a hard time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was something. So one of my, oh, I, I, I one of my five, five-year-old, he's probably oh. nine now. He, oh. And he's, he, he's not in our student anymore, but he's, uh, he's studying. He doesn't, he teaches at a point in his life. Music is just not what it is. But I remember him coming up to me and said, Miss Cindy, mommy says, you're going through a lot right now. And I have to be a good boy so oh. that, you know, I can make you smile. I literally just got teary and I start crying and he had said, Miss Cindy, I want to be a good boy for you. And it's, it's, it's those things that they say that they know. And I was getting more hugs because I usually give them hugs and, and anyone who knows Asian kids, especially in Taiwan, like, you know, not Asian kids in, in, in the Western setting, but Asian kids in Asia, yeah. they're much more reserved. Hugging they don't, is not they a don't thing. Verba- yeah. Hugging is not a thing. Yes. Hugging is not a thing. Verbally saying I love you is not a thing. And even if they go to international school, they go home with traditional parents. So that's still not a thing. And um, during that period of time, there was so much love and hugs and lots. I love you. They bring me candies. I can't tell you enough how these, how these students have reached out to me. And my students are they're, they range from the age of four and a half to like 16, 17 before yeah. they go, mm-hmm. go away to um, U.S. Or, or Europe for, for college. So that, that part of um, your question, I, I rather just leave it like that for you because sure. they, they brought me back to life. So I think they impacted me more than I impacted them. But definitely our studio focus on love, respect, and self-respect and definitely a community, a community of like, you know, especially during a hardship, we, we're all there for each other. And sometimes like, like when I say that is if my one student is going to be performing at school or if they're going for a competition, I will make sure the student after or before to stay a little later or come a little earlier just to sit there and support. And then we clap at the end just to support, you know, the person who's going for the competition to let them know that you're not alone. We're always here for you and try to make it fun for them. Well, that's wonderful. Yeah. I mean, kids, like I feel kids are often very empathic because they haven't been um, socially Mm. conditioned and they are a lot more aware than we give them credit for a lot of times, I think. Yeah. I strongly agree with you on that, Felicia. Yeah, I do. You um, have authored a children's book, um, The Sunny Girl's Dream World. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that book, like what inspired you mm. to um, write that book and I understand you also are going to have a live show by the same name I'm wondering what the connection is there okay well thank you for even giving me a shout out for my book I have my book here today Look yes, at this beautiful. I'm so proud of this book I'm so proud Sunny Girls Dream World was actually approached to me during a time actually see everything tied together 
during that darkest period of my life, what I have mentioned, this opportunity came. I think universe works in a very mysterious way. And, and the publisher came to me to, to see since knowing that my background was in music and I've also been in um, bands singing and dancing in the past in U.S., they thought that if I would be able to come up with something that's fun for students to learn English in Taiwan. And I thought, well, what, you know, I asked my niece and my nephew, my niece and nephew were very little, and I, I started to actually watch what they would watch and mm -hmm. then get some research yeah. in. Then I really realized that um, they need positivities, but more like, popular music kind of like there are certain songs especially rap that are awesome like for us is awesome but they may not be literally appropriate for a six-year-old yeah. to sing mm -hmm. but the music and the, it's it's great so i use that concept to build popular original music but with more lyrics and message behind it that's more appropriate for young adults or even children right. to talk about issues that, you know, they don't usually, you know, I, that I feel like kids these days are lacking. One of the biggest one for me was being polite. You see a lot of kids that don't say, they don't say, excuse me, thank you. Sorry. May I please, that seems to be lacking a lot recently from mm -hmm. um, our younger generations. Mm -hmm. And, and also the new topic like homeschooling. The book is basically, you know, inspired by my niece and nephew, Misha and Ian and the kids in Taiwan because they're very reserved. So I wanted to give them something that they could be crazy about and learn English because a lot of them are afraid of English. They're, they're very, yeah. they're, they're very intimidated. Mm -hmm. And I, I wanted to let them know learning a language, especially English is nothing to be afraid of. It's actually, it can be fun yeah. through music and dance. Great. Yeah. And singing. So you mentioned that you're also going to be uh, branching out into doing a live stream on LinkedIn. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, I'm actually very excited that one of the branch outs doing live streams on LinkedIn is because LinkedIn is probably one of the social media platforms that I have to reach where I am right now was a big surprise. That was kind of if, for business people because LinkedIn is a professional page. I would look at it as like a mutual fund. You know, you just put the money there. You don't even think about it. You just invest, invest, invest. And the next thing you know, it's like, boom, this is the result that you got. So for LinkedIn, I was very surprised. My LinkedIn buildup has been me sharing my woo-woo show. What I did before was my woo-woo show, live stream on Facebook. And then I will side record it and put it on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And then I share my, my show afterwards mm -hmm. on YouTube and share the link up on LinkedIn. Right. And I have, you know, it's still not a lot of followers, but enough followers for me to be able to now live stream on LinkedIn. But the big part is they said, this is something called the dashboard. I don't know if you can see it, but on the dashboard, it says all-star. Yes. Yes. I see that. And for LinkedIn, I didn't know they give you something to let you know that you are valuable. So they gave me an all-star little amazing. badge. And I, and I was like, wow, my bilingual show yeah. is, um, I bet, yeah, it, it's, it's being watched on LinkedIn. And I, I, 
I've received a few, not a lot, but a few people who actually, you know, make comments and say, thank you for the show. And they love it because they said, I do take uh, my, my special guest that comes. I don't, I make it more light, not so serious. But I'm also not crazy where, yeah. where it's like the extreme. So I'm kind of <laughs> like the happy medium. So I can't wait to have you and Kanju to come up together and be my first live stream guest. Because I think you two are so powerful. I admire and it's very inspiring that you you two take on these heavy issues. Oh, thank you. It would be our honor. Uh, just between watching his YouTube Ooh. video, uh, yours. Like, it's like, like, but I wanted to be able to show, you know, with my, now the table would turn yeah. because I would be hosting you both, where we're going to, you know, present a lighter yeah, side absolutely. of you both. And to talk about, you know, how you two went from your life into this very intense, intelligent podcast. Is there anything you wanted to talk about in particular about what you're doing now in Kaohsiung and your your music or your aspirations or anything or projects you're working on? I'm working actually with Kaohsiung city government, mainly intensely with the Hakka um, Bureau because I am quarter Hakkanese. And with that, with that, you know, being said, I want to talk about how important that we all know who we are. Go. if, If you have the money, or if you have any ways to find out your roots, I definitely highly recommend people to do that. And this is something that's very serious for me because I find with social media world, the internet world so advanced and so swift, I finding people a lot more quick to judge, quick to bully, quick to be negative. But when you find out what your roots is all about, You'd be surprised how much we're all alike. We are all children of planet Earth. There's so much potential in, in this city. We just found out TSMC, one of the semiconductor, the semiconductor company, is now going to be building in Kaohsiung City. Kaohsiung, the city at the moment, needs a lot of entrepreneurs, not big companies. I would say entrepreneurs and startup companies that would like to collaborate and cooperate with people, with the companies here in Kaohsiung. We are what they call the AIOT5. These are things that you can find out through mass media. This is going to be the new city. And for me, I'm so proud to be a Kaohsiung. And my father, bless his heart, he passed in 2011, 2011 2012. I've lo- and, and, one of his passion, one of the things that I promised him, two things I promised him was to make sure that I can take my mom <laughs> on his dream, which is traveling around the world. So for me to be able to do that, I had to get business savvy. Right. That's how I started my social, social wow. media business. Secondly is he wants me to be a positive person and a use to this society, to this world. And um, I could not do more than devoting myself now to Kaohsiung, the city that he loves. Okay, so I want to thank you so much for taking time of your schedule to be on the Talking Taiwan podcast. Oh, thank you, Felicia, for having me. This was fun. (laughs) I've been speaking with Cindy Wu, an English and Mandarin Chinese bilingual performer, speaker, and music educator based in Kaohsiung, Taiwan. 
To learn more about Cindy and where to find her on social media, visit the show notes for this episode on our website, TalkingTaiwan.com. If you enjoy this episode, go on over to Audible or Apple Podcasts and leave us a review there. It helps others to discover Talking Taiwan. Tell a friend about us or subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. To learn more about any of the items mentioned in this episode, visit our website, TalkingTaiwan.com. There will list any related links. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Taiwan. I'm your host, Felicia Lin. Talking Taiwan is brought to you by Forumosa.com. 